Hello and welcome. I'm Gary Scheib. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. This morning we are going to hear about an organization that has invested millions of dollars to bring about transformative change in our community. Joining me today is the Communications and Outreach Manager at Pride Foundation, Caitlin Kellogg. Caitlin, welcome. Thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me, Gary. I'm so glad to have you. I haven't had Pride Foundation here for a long time. I've been meaning to, so man, I got this one finally done. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk. A lot of people know about Pride Foundation, but not everybody, and Mm -hmm. not everybody knows the story. Uh, You guys have been around for like 30 years now, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about giving away money this morning. But uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of that, Caitlin, how about, I don't know, a bit of background on what Pride Foundation does? I mentioned, you know, 30 years, that's got some things behind it. You could probably go on for a half hour about just its history, but Mm -hmm. yeah, give us the once over for folks. Sure. Um, So Pride Foundation is an LGBTQ, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community foundation. And we were founded in 1985. And um, I would say the origins of Pride Foundation are really bittersweet. Um, they, we were founded in the midst of the HIV and AIDS crisis and um, trying to combat you know, misinformation and a lack of resources and a government that wasn't really addressing the issues that were impacting our communities and costing lives and livelihoods and um, stripping people of their ability to live fully. And um, so the community came together around this rallying cause to say we need to be able to fund the resources and the solutions that can solve the problems for our own community. And so Pride Foundation was born. And um, and so out of that, you know, sad and devastating time where people were literally dying um, came this community and this home for people. Um, and that's sort of it's continuing to drive us in our work today. And um, since then, since 1985, so 34 years ago, we have given away over $74 million, which is really exciting. Um, And that comes in the form of scholarships. We have a scholarship program for LGBTQ student leaders um, throughout the Northwest. And they just have to be studying or living in the Northwest. And they can be studying anything. Last year, we had um, people that were going into welding. We also had people that were, you know, going into their PhD in psychiatry um, and child psychiatry. So it really runs the gamut. And um, we just want to support those future movement leaders. Um, and grants, we have a grant program, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. And um, But that's just investing in the organizations that are driving our movement forward on the ground every single day. Um, And then we do advocacy, um, especially in legislative periods where our communities are facing attacks on our rights. And then we have a public education campaign, too, which I'll tell you about in a little while. You know, that that is such a wide, encompassing uh, (laughs) (laughs) goal and mission you guys have. But it is all, I would say, necessary because, Mm -hmm. like you said, 35 years ago or almost 40 now when HIV and AIDS sort of was a mystery to a lot of, and then once we realized this is affecting the gay community and nobody was really doing anything Mm -hmm. except the gay community had to kind of come together Mm -hmm. and say, we need to support ourselves and then get other people to support us. Uh, That's just been a long time coming. So, and it, that work's not done, so that's right. why you still exist, I guess, right? Yeah, and progress doesn't just happen. No, it does not. People people move it forward. And mm-hmm. how about yourself? Uh, you must have been an infant uh, in, in the <laughs> yeah. 80s. Um, how did you end up uh, working for Pride Foundation? Um, yeah, great question. Um, well, I was uh, raised in Spokane, Washington, so on the east side of the state, and um, I knew from a young age that I was different, that I, um, I identify as queer, and um, it 
was not easy growing up in Spokane. Um, it is 300 miles from Seattle, and it feels like a totally different universe <laughs> for queer youth, especially um, in the 90s when I was growing up. And um, I think that, you know, looking back, I didn't really know there was an LGBT community. You know, there there were, we had a, a gay street alliance at my school, but it wasn't well attended. Nobody really ever went to it. And um, it wasn't well supported by faculty and staff at all. Um, and so my idea of community turned into, and this is going to date me, but um, MySpace meetups. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, um, you know, like... Uh, MySpace, one of those newfangled things. <laughs> I'm going to get on that one of these days, too. Yeah, they're waiting for you, Gary. <laughs> um, but they were uh, sort of like rotating uh, secret meetups for part of a secret group. And um, they you didn't really know about the location until it was going to happen. And it wasn't just for youth. And it there was a lot of substance use. And I, like, I knew... I went them and I was like oh is this what the queer community is (laughs) you know and I and I didn't really know um that there were resources available um because I wasn't aware of them and I and we didn't I didn't live in a place where they were available to me and um so when I moved to Portland and started going to school for social work I started working for um a direct service organization that served LGBT youth it was a youth youth drop-in center and um I worked with, I worked as the homeless youth liaison between them and the local shelter and, and day program. And it was just like, I still remember, you know, going there and looking around and seeing like queer youth hanging out with each other and being in this really supportive and safe environment where they were like playing board games and playing pool and having drag shows and like having all of these adults around them that were just there to support them and all of the decision making and all of the steering of what the group was going to look like was done by the youth and the youth were trusted and they were empowered to be their own leaders for this group and and I got to be a part of it and looking around I was like this is what's possible when um, this is how youth can feel supported when they have a group of people around them supporting them and when they can have resources available to them and they were a Pride Foundation grantee so when I moved to Seattle I knew exactly who I wanted to work for <laughs> and it was Pride Foundation that's awesome that's a terrific uh, circular story yeah, yeah. Uh, for yourself personally but but like you said Spokane mm-hmm. um, and then you mentioned earlier just barely Pride Foundation the Northwest so mm-hmm. how the Pride Foundation now uh, encompasses how much of the Northwest so uh, mm-hmm. if Portland people in Portland are getting grants. I mean, mm-hmm. wh- who do you serve, I guess? Uh, Long way for me to say <laughs> still. Uh, very short question. Who do you serve, Caitlin? Um, we are in Alaska, Idaho, Montana, Oregon, and Washington. And one of the cool things about Pride Foundation is that we have a staff person in all of the states where we serve, um, So, or all the states that we serve. And um, not, not a ton of um, foundations try to have that, you know, sort of like that on the ground staffing embedded in the communities and all of those all of the people that we have in those states were born and raised in those states you know it's not like we hired someone in seattle and said you're going to alaska yeah we take care of those people <laughs> exactly it's like of the community driven by community people that know their communities that they're serving and have connections there too and are you able to let's say washington have an mm-hmm. office in more than one part of each state? Can you be in Tacoma, Seattle, Spokane, uh, I don't know, uh, Pullman, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. 
That's our staff be, does a lot big. of traveling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and if you think about Alaska too, I mean, Alaska. a lot of it isn't even connected by roads. That's right. You need yeah. a small airplane or a sled dog uh, exactly. to get from one town to another, especially in the winter. You can't get mm-hmm. the teller or unakleet right. from Anchorage or Juneau. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I would say that um, a lot of it is driven not only by staff, but we have board members in every state. We have teams of volunteers called community advisory councils in every state. And um, and they're also called leadership action teams, depending on the state. But it's just incredible that it's not just one person there. It's an entire community of people. And that's what being around since 1985 has been able to get us is, is an entire network of people that we're trying to help support and drive forward. And it's not like Pride Foundation is not in the center of it. We're trying to make sure that we're connecting the leaders that are already on the ground, driving the movements that are already on the ground, and making sure that we're talking from state to state to make sure that it's unified in every way that it can be. Um, And then in some of the states, we do have more than one staff person. So in Oregon, we have two staff people. um, And in Washington, we have a staff person also in Ellensburg. So now I I, kind of going off my and maybe it'll lead us back to where I want to talk, but um, we're talking about diverse, uh, I mean, spread out communities mm-hmm. trying to connect. And I guess the internet can now um, sort of do that for you. But the loneliness of some people can feel in the, just like you mentioned your own story growing up, um, man, that's got to be tough. And the reputation now, 35 some years uh, of Pride Foundation saying there is a place for you Mm -hmm. Uh, you can find i'm thinking of one or two teenagers in a lonely town in alaska or Mm -hmm. eastern washington to find that community and pride foundation can be that but it's still got to be tough being so spread out yeah well our our motto as an organization that has been for a long time is be who you are where you are and it's this idea that um Someone in Bozeman should not have to leave Bozeman, Montana in order to be fully themselves. Someone in Talkeetna, Alaska should not have to leave Talkeetna. You know, like we, I shouldn't have had to leave to Spokane and and all of the different various places in every single corner of our region that are hugely diverse. Um, And that's the vision that we're we're trying to achieve. Well, then, so with your scholarship program, let's see Mm -hmm. how I tied it in there. You you can, uh, I don't know encourage and educate people and build, I don't know, leaders for the future. Is that kind of the goal of Mm -hmm. what the scholarship program is for LGBT and Q people to say, yeah, there's somebody who supports me and wants me to be who I am Mm -hmm. financially and I can get to college and, and I don't know, tell us about the scholarship and who those people are and where you, how you find them and how they apply me, even if, you know, it's time to apply again for people with listening, maybe, hey, I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, the scholarship program, it's a big deal. You said 70-some million dollars over the years has been given out. Yeah. Um, The scholarship program, I think it's this year it's 5 million. I think it's about 5 million that we got to this year through the scholarship program. Um, And like I said earlier, our scholars are so diverse. They are from every single background um, and have so many different lived experiences. It really runs the gamut. So you, you don't necessarily look on an application... I want to be a lawyer to defend gay no. and lesbian people. Mm-mm. Yeah. Be, no. Just like you said, be who you are. Exactly. I mean, we're, we're trying to drive the movement forward, and we're also trying to expand opportunities available for LGBTQ individuals and allies. Um, and that's, that part is really important to us because much of the progress that we've made as a movement has, has left certain demographic groups behind, has left people behind. And so right now it's, 
and for the past, I would say explicitly about 10 years, um, deepening our commitment to racial equity as it relates to LGBTQ issues and yeah. justice um, has become a top priority for us and it will continue to moving forward. Um, I think that especially in our scholarship program and in our community grants program, making sure that we are trying to lift up, especially the people that have been the most marginalized in our movement, um, to say, hey, we support you, we see you, we hear you, your voice matters, and trying to create seats at the table in every way that we can. Um, and yeah, like, like I said, the scholarship program is a really excellent example of that. Um, this year, uh, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I think about um, half of our scholars this year um, have experienced homelessness before. Um, over half of them were people of color this year. And um, yeah, I'll, you have to look on our website for more information. But okay, good, um, good place to give out the website. <laughs> There's always more information than we can give in a little half-hour chat here. Pridefoundation.org, right? Yep, just it's spelled just out. Spelled out just mm -hmm. like it is. Pridefoundation.org. Mm -hmm. um, lots of resources on there and lots of information. Applying for a scholarship can be started there too, right? The entire application is online. Um, and I'll give a quick, quick plug. It opens on October 11th every year, which is National Coming Out Day. Um, it's an easy way to remember it. What a coincidence. <laughs> oh, I bet you guys planned that. Yes. All right. Um, and yeah, everything is done online. And another cool thing about both our scholarship review and our grant review is that it is community reviews. So not only do people from the community apply for the scholarships, people from our community read scholarships and review scholarships. And so people who are applying get their reassurance that it's not some people in a foundation in a tower on the top right. of a hill are reading these applications. It's community members among them. And I should say that every single dollar that we award through our scholarship program is fundraised from our community and well, from ally communities as well. That, that's a big question I was going to try and get mm -hmm. to is, is how that money is raised in the first place is got to be a huge undertaking. Mm -hmm. And then this getting to decide to divvy it out, that's got to be kind of a fun job. Although pretty I mean, important and intense, actually, to review mm -hmm. scholarship applications. Um, it's a little responsibility there. How, how do you, let me go back to the fundraising part. How does Pride Foundation raise so much money that they can give that much out every year? I mean, that, mm -hmm. that must be an entirely subset of your organization, right? Yeah. I mean, again, it's a team effort. Like it is, it's not only our staff, it's our board, it's our volunteers, it's all of the people that host events for us. It's businesses out in the community. Um, it's We get foundation grants that we leverage from other funders. Um, so I would, but I'm about 80% of it comes from individuals okay. every single year. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, it's huge. It's, um, uh, we were hugely blessed to be surrounded by a community of super generous individuals who, who have partnered with us for years. We have a pretty incredible like founders list of donors that have been donating since the beginning, people who have been donating for over 15 years and 10 years and volunteering for that time too. Um, but yeah, I would say it's it's a team effort, definitely. But as a community foundation, community means those resources come from our community. And another part of this, um, I don't know if you keep track of graduates, so people who have had their scholarship, now they've been, you've been doing this quite a long time, do you track them and say, hey, did this kid become successful? I, I have never even thought about that when I had my own kids applying for scholarships that, you know, you have responsibility. You're taking this money mm -hmm. to be successful with it. Um, 
do you track that so that next time you can say, yes, uh, people have worked in this, uh, gone into this field, been successful at it, so we're going to issue another scholarship to somebody. I don't know. Is that done? I don't know why I'm even asking that. (laughs) No, no. I think it's a good question. I mean, uh, we do so anecdotally. It's definitely on our list of um, ambitions for the future to track that um, in terms of data. But anecdotally, you know, we see that we continue to have a lot of contact with the scholars that we give scholarships to. Um, That's one of the cool things about Pride Foundation is none of our work is separate. Like the people, the, the executive directors of the grantees that we give grants to are often our pa- former scholars. Oh. Like people that we work with on our public education and storytelling campaigns are often former scholars. Um, we have board members that are former scholars. Many of our volunteers are former scholars. And so we keep in touch with them a lot of the time. So anecdotally, they're still there. They're still doing it. <laughs> you know, that doesn't surprise me that that's the answer because, like you've said, you guys have been building community uh, since the 80s, and, and and it really is a community. That's kind of cool mm-hmm. that, that that is is building, continues to build. Mm-hmm. Well, and you talked about grants. Let's talk about grants now. That's a little different uh, nut, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. you, you get to give out money to other organizations, right, community groups and organizations that are doing what you hope is positive things, right? Mm -hmm. For the cause or for, I mean, how are they selected uh, grantees? Mm -hmm. Is that what they're called? Um, Is that the right word? Grantees. That is is correct. (laughs) Um, We have a couple of different grant programs. Um, I think that probably makes the most sense to talk about um, two of our grant programs, one of which is our Rapid Response Fund. Um, And our Rapid Response Fund was, uh, we created it in 2016 um, during a very, difficult and trying political period that is still facing us today. And um, just as a response to growing community needs in so many different areas, um, whether it was uh, mental health responses and taking care of communities that were being attacked in different ways, um, or safety planning for leaders that had to respond. um, You can imagine that all of the different political um, challenges that we faced have had real implications for for grantee organizations. We have grantee organizations that are, you know, helping to organize some of the rallies that you see around town. Something helping to, um, like I said, respond to the mental health needs of communities who have been attacked. Um, there's been rises in violence that community groups on the ground have had to react to, and those all of those reactions require funding from us. And it requires funding quickly and funding with no strings attached, mm. um, and which many, which it's hard for funders to do sometimes. Um, it's called rapid response fund. Yes, exactly. Um, and so organizations can apply to us um, for this funding, and we respond. We try to respond within two weeks, um, and uh, it it's just a pretty amazing program. So I would say that that um, that's our most recent. Um, initiative. That sounds pretty impressive idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's important because um, the average granting period is months, you know, um, for any any foundation. And sometimes you can't wait that long. Did, is that an idea that you guys came up with your own or did you Mm-mm. find this somewhere else in the country that's doing the same kind of thing or other organizations do that? Or um, Actually, quite a few rapid response funds have been created, um, especially in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like something a, a nonprofit might have to be ready to go mm-hmm. on, but kind of hard, difficult, I would say, to get that, all the, I don't know, the wheels in motion for something like that, but it sounds mm-hmm. like you're doing it, huh? Well, especially when they're still responding to everything they were responding to before. You know, it's not like those issues didn't go That's away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they all of a sudden just, it's it's on top of everything that, that they're doing, and, um, and it's putting a strain on communities, and 
it just has shown yeah. us just the resilience of uh, di- so many different groups within our communities, especially LGBTQ immigrants and refugees that have faced challenges on so many different fronts under this administration. And um, and so we just want to do everything we can to make sure that they have the resources and the community support necessary in order to actually make change and yeah. and react and not just react, but think proactively about how they can continue their own movements forward. Yeah. Excellent mm-hmm. point. What a, and another initiative maybe you want to talk about that's a grant? Yeah, yeah the, um, the community grants um, program that we're in right now, um, I just got finished reading my grant applications. And um, I, I think that's it's honestly the hardest part of my job. It's the hardest part of the staff's job. It's the hardest part of our community reviewers um, is reading grant applications and Um, deciding how to allocate resources because all of them are so incredible. Um, Some of the things happening on the ground are, they're inventive, they're innovative, they're compassionate, they're brilliant. Um, It just shows you it every single time I just get this reminder that like, oh yeah, our community has the solutions to the challenges that we're facing. We just need the money for it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so Pride Foundation gets to give out some of those resources that the community has invested in us and so it's a huge responsibility. Um, it's a huge responsibility for us and every single person that reads the grant applications. Um, some of our grantees from last year uh, was an, uh, up in Anchorage. There was a grantee organization that was working on creating a host home program for youth experience homeless youth experiencing homelessness. Um, there were um, a couple of arts organizations here in Seattle. Um, there were many in eastern Washington, in um, in Wenatchee, in Yakima, um, in Montana. It's every every corner of Montana. And it it's just very encouraging. A lot of it is around um, health care access um, for trans folks in rural areas. Um, overall, it's all of it is really inspiring. And um, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to read the grant yeah. applications. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are talking this morning with Caitlin Kellogg from Pride Foundation about the, the money they give out uh, to transform this community in, in beautiful ways uh, to make us all stronger and better. Uh, we are going to run out of time before too long, Caitlin, so I kind of want to get to advocacy. You guys do a lot about that, and that still needs to be done. Can you touch on that, what Pride Foundation does here in the last couple of minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Um so I would. So you may remember the fight here for marriage in 2012 yeah. in Washington, um, and uh, along with different advocacy efforts, you have to have public education. You have to be able to tell people's stories. Um, data shows that people who know someone who is gay or who knows the stories of someone that is gay is more than twice as likely to support the equality of that person, to support the equality of LGBTQ people, and. Um, And so in order to do that, we had to share stories. We had to lift up stories of people in ways that were going to change hearts and minds so that we could eventually change people's votes. Um, Washington was the first state where we passed marriage at the ballot, um, which was a really big deal. It shows that we had public, overwhelming public support for marriage. Um, And so that was a huge deal in 2012. And so we ran the public education part of that campaign called Why Marriage Matters Washington. And we sort of took notes from from that, uh, took the cue from that situation. And in 2015, um, we and in 2016, actually, um, we faced uh, an initiative that was trying to repeal part of the non-discrimination ordinance that had been in place for 10 years, trying to repeal the discrimination protections against transgender people. Yeah. Um, so it was they were I-1515 and I-1552 and um and I think a lot of that was 
trying to understand um, how few people realized that they knew someone who was transgender, that transgender people are in our lives. They are our neighbors. They are our friends. They are our family members. And, and, the, and they're not, they were not safe in the bathrooms. And I think that we had to get the, the story and we had to get people's stories outside of bathrooms to help people to understand the full lived experiences and the full diversity of the transgender community. And so we started a public education campaign called Transform Washington. And we so we sort of ran, again, the public education arm of that campaign. And that has blossomed into a fully uh, integrated part of Pride Foundation as our public education project that continued well beyond the scope of those um, campaigns, which luckily those initiatives did not go through. Yeah. We still have a fully inclusive non-discrimination ordinance in Washington. But that was because of stories. Like people needed to hear the stories of transgender people. They needed to, to understand... They needed to be put in the situation of, you know, what would I do if my kid were transgender? What would I do if my husband or wife became like came out as transgender? Mm-hmm. And um, and try and build empathy and try and broaden the understanding of what it means to be LGBTQ. Yeah. And so that's telling those stories mm-hmm. through and educating people is, I think, the best way. It takes a long time, mm-hmm. like it's been happening, but it will happen. I, and I encourage people to go to your website to learn more: pridefoundation.org. There's so much more there that then we can talk about here. Caitlin, we are out of time. Thanks for being here. But also, I want to thank you on behalf of all that the foundation has done in scholarships and grants and just getting people educated. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Gary. We have been talking today with Caitlin Kellogg from Pride Foundation. Again, I want to encourage people one more time, pridefoundation.org. Look them up online to learn more. If you'd like to hear this interview again, you can find it on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts within a few days. Just search Spotlight with Gary Scheip. I am Gary Scheip. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.